Think of how many verses are represented in this army of young people and how God might use that in the future. It's very exciting to see. It's not like they kind of have another service going on on Sunday nights. They definitely do have a whole other service, and it's just remarkable to see. Also, I want to say, uh, on top of everything else that they've accomplished, in the midst of all the hard work that they're doing, uh, Awana has a mission challenge every year. And I believe the TNT girls, raise your hand, you won this year. Yes, they won. They uh, raised the most money for missions. And so the whole club together uh, raised over $250, and the TNT girls get to choose what ministry they would uh, give that money to, and they've decided that they're going to buy water filters. They raise enough money to buy 17 water filters to provide clean water for 17 families in Brazil. So how awesome is that? So thank you all for all your hard work. What a blessing. Then really the culmination of Awana, the, the pinnacle of uh, if, you can, if you can navigate your way all the way through all the various level levels of the Awana ministry, you finally get to the place where you can win the Timothy Award. And you've noticed undoubtedly that we have a wall set up over here in the East Sanctuary where we have put bricks engraved with every student's name who has ever won the Timothy Award here at Michael Memorial. And we have two more bricks to place on the wall this year. Let me tell you just for a second so you have an understanding of what these bricks symbolize. These two young people that I'm about to introduce you to have memorized 432 verses. 432 verses in order to win this award. That is tremendous. Tremendous. And, and every, uh, every area of, of leader and LIT has had to minister to them and sow into their lives and uh, you just think about all of the uh, effort and energy, the, the, the parents, uh, all the time they've spent memorizing verses. Not, you know, you have to use all your time to get the Timothy Award. When you're riding in the car, you're working on verses. When you're, uh, you know, just got some spare time, you're working on verses. All the time, always working on verses. I remember those days, always working on verses. And it just the, the amazing thing is that everyone around would memorize the scriptures as well. So not just the parents, but the kids, and then siblings learn the verses, and so on and so forth. And so let me introduce you to these two amazing young people. We have Joel Jones and Georgia Grace Kibler. Will you two come up here, please? Here they are. Our 2016 Timothy Award winners, these two will have uh, these bricks with their names engraved on them, placed on the wall over there in the East Sanctuary, where they will remain forever to symbolize the hard work that they've done and that the Word of God is securely fastened in their hearts. And so we're super proud of you two. We know how much work that that takes, and we'll be grateful for you and for your families and for everything that's been accomplished here. So... 
I want to pray for all of you and thank God for all of you before I dismiss you. I'm so grateful for all of you leaders. Thank you for all your hard work and your support. And uh, you'll never know till you get to heaven uh, all of the differences that you make in our children's lives. And certainly without all of you, none of this would be possible. And Roger and Michelle, uh, just your continued support and hard work over and over year after year. Uh, it's an a all-consuming thing to lead this ministry, as you can see. And so uh, we're just very grateful for you. Let me pray and thank God for uh, everything that he's accomplished. Will you pray with me? Father, we want to thank you for our WANA ministry, Lord. Thank you for what this stage represents. God, I pray that we are all in this moment a bit overwhelmed as we think about what has happened here this morning and the impact that it will have in the lives of not only these children, but, Lord, in the generation to come. Father God, I pray that you would raise children up from this stage to be leaders for your gospel, Lord, that you'll raise up Sunday school teachers and missionaries and pastors and, Father God, all sorts of uh, ways in which you'll use them to serve you and to bring you glory. And, Father, thank you for every, uh, every effort, every uh, diligent uh, moment, God, all the sacrifices that have been made on your behalf. Lord, I pray that you'll use it all for your glory. Thank you for these two Timothy Award winners and for what it represents uh, to them and their families and to us as a church. And God, I pray that all of the children behind me would strive to achieve that award and to put in the work that it takes in order to uh, complete all that's been asked of them in a want of ministry. Thank you again, Father God, for this morning for all of our leaders and for everything that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay, so you can clap. Amen. Amen. If some leaders would take our little ones, our cubbies, three- to five-year-olds, and take them to the preschool department, and then uh, the rest of you can make your way out, find your parental units to sit by and uh, or sit with your Iwana leaders or whatever you would like to do. So good luck with that. So get ready. You're about to get invaded out there.
Graduate recognition is always bittersweet for me because uh, I grow to love these students uh, very much like they're my own. And, and this year, actually, one of them is my own. So, uh, but honestly, I, I really I, I grow to love them like they're they're really like my own children. And so, it's always tough for me because uh, I know that uh, my role is going to change some now moving forward into this next season uh, of their life. And so. Uh, I'm excited for them, and and I'm extremely proud for them as they will stand up here in just a few minutes. Um, They're, you know, they've they've earned their diplomas. You have uh, earned great awards over the course of this past week. Many scholarships have been given out, and they're going to go on to do great things. But what I'm most proud of are the individuals, the 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 people, these young men and young women that will stand here today, uh, and who they are. They genuinely love the Lord that are already making a difference in this world. And so I'm so, uh, you know, a little heartbroken because they're going to be moving on, but I'm so proud of who they've become and the journey to get to where they are today. And um, I'm just excited. I know uh, they've had a huge impact in this church. They've had a huge impact in the world already, and I have no doubt that they're going to continue to shine brightly for God's glory. And so I'm excited about what today represents in their life. Um, so we're going to have them go ahead and come on up. Sydney graduated from Harrison Central, and she's going to continue her education at, at uh, Mississippi Gulf Coast Community it's College. It's only for a moment you were mine to hold. The Hannah graduated from Harrison Central, and she's going to continue her education at Mississippi College. We're so excited about that. different prayers I'll pray for all that you might do. But most of all, I want to know. Hannah Flesher graduated from Harrison Central, and she's going to continue her education in the city Gulf Coast. Will graduated from Harrison Central, and he's going to continue his education in Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. Taylor Henderson graduated from West Harrison, and she's going to continue her education in Mississippi, Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College also. Cameron McLeod graduated from D'Iberville High School, and he's going to continue his education in Mississippi Gulf Coast also. Destiny graduated from Harrison Central, and she's going to continue her education at Pearl River Community College. Don't you go by without giving me a hug. Truex graduated from Harrison Central, and he's going to pursue a career at the fire department. It makes me proud. Kaylee Seymour graduated from uh, CCA, and she's going to be going to Coastal Carolina Community College.
Hayden Sumrall graduated from D'Iberville, and he's going to be continuing his edu education at the University of Alabama. And my baby girl, she graduated from Harrison Central, and she'll be going to Mississippi Gulf Coast. You know, one of the things that stood out to me as I was sitting up here and watching all these, uh, all the kids come up and the kids' choirs and the Awana, and, you know, we've had a few students that have joined us along the way uh, through the youth ministry, but, but most of these students that are graduating here uh, have graduated and standing up here. Uh, they were involved in every single one of those things that you, uh, that you saw, and it's pretty special to be able to see that this morning and know that many of them have grown up in this church. So that means that many of you, uh, you changed their diapers. You, uh, you watched them in preschool. You uh, listened to them as they shared verses. You taught them songs. You brought them up here. Uh, you uh, played with them. You loved them. You uh, counseled with them. You, you poured poured uh, wisdom into their life. Sometimes they were eager to hear that, hear that, and sometimes they weren't so eager to hear it. But uh, nonetheless, it was very important. And so we laughed with them. You cried with them. And so I just want to say thank you so much for each and every one of you that have invested. Uh, you, you love the kids uh, in this church well. And so thank you very, very much. I'm going to pray for the students, and we're going to continue, okay? God, I thank you so much for each and every one of these students, Lord, and, and what they mean to me. I can't say thank you enough for uh, allowing me to be a part of their lives, and I'm so proud of the young men and young women that stand on this stage, and I have no doubt, no doubt whatsoever that you're going to continue to use them in great and mighty ways. Lord, you didn't, you didn't hold anything back when you created these wonderful people, and Lord, I pray that they live their lives in a way that they don't hold anything back living for you. And so, God, I thank you for each and every one of them. I pray that they continue to shine, Father, for your glory. And, uh, God, use them in great and mighty ways in this new season of their life. We thank you in advance, Father, for how you're going to use them in the way that you love us. And, God, thank you for each one. In Christ's name, amen.
Amen. Thank you, Siobhan and the youth choir and all of the amazing music that we got to hear this morning. Get all the talent God provides, I'm telling you. Amen. You can get your Bibles out if you brought a Bible or your uh, your phone or device or whatever it is that you use to read the Scripture. Go to the book of Judges. Be the in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. If you get to Ruth, you went too far. Judges chapter 2 should be about page 246 on the Pew Bible in front of you. Judges 2. Just want to talk to you for a few moments. Uh, You can also get your Say Yes card out that was in your uh, bulletin. You can get that out in a pen. Some of you uh, are super diligent, so you're already ahead of the game. If not, I'll, I'll get us all caught up so we're all on the same page. See those blanks up there? During those videos, it was giving you clues as to what they were. The first one's laughter. So what if we say yes? And there you go. Say yes to laughter. Remember that video? Then there was adventure. Then say yes to all the parents of young children said to messy Oh, yeah, with the little boy eating the cupcake. Say yes to questions. Then as we moved into the youth ministry portion of this morning, we saw say yes to the future and to the next generation. So you can fill those blanks in. In Judges chapter 2, these verses will come up. Uh, I want you to see how the Scripture uses all sorts of different ways to warn us about neglecting our children. Uh, there's, there's the passages in uh, Matthew 18 or Luke 18 or the book of the Gospel of Mark where Jesus is, is ministering to the children and the disciples are, are telling him, no, he doesn't have time for that. He needs to minister to the adults. He's, if anyone ever had a tight schedule, it was the Lord Jesus while he was on earth. And Jesus rebukes the disciples who are trying to rebuke other people and says, no, bring the children to me. And, but it's not just those instances. It's all throughout Scripture, all the way from the beginning of the Scripture, all the way through to the book of Revelation. You'll find places where God will warn us about neglecting the gift of children. And one of the primary ways that God does that is by showing us the peril of neglecting the coming generation. And that's what we'll see here in Judges chapter 2. Look at verse 7. So Joshua has been leading the the children of Israel uh, after Moses, and he leads them into the promised land, and they're taking possession of the promised land. And in in verse 7, of Judges 2, the Bible says, So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he, which he had done for Israel. Verse 8, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. That's how old I feel when I see some of these kids graduating. The Bible says that after he passed away, they buried him at the border of his inheritance in Timnaheres, in the mountains of Ephraim. 
on the north side of Mount Gaash. Verse 10, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, notice what the scripture says, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, know the work which he had done for Israel. The striking thing about this passage of scripture is imagine what had been entrusted to this previous generation, to Joshua's generation, to the elders that were with Joshua. Imagine the things that they had seen. Imagine the experiences that they had had. How in the world could it be possible that a generation that had been led through across the Red Sea, that had seen God lead them by fire and by cloud, who had fed them from the heavens, who had, who had caused their shoes not to wear out as they wandered through all of the incredible uh, miraculous things that God did. He would bring water from a rock. He would, he would literally save them from every conceivable natural disaster. Single-handedly and supernaturally, He would reveal Himself to them like none other. And yet that generation that had experienced all of that dropped the ball. They failed. And the generation that followed did not know God, nor did they serve Him. If you were to read on, what you would find is, is that the generation to follow, it was more than that. He, they began to worship false gods. They began to break the commands of God. They, they were led into such apostasy. They basically just departed completely from everything that God had taught them and shown them to all the things that their forefathers had lived for to the extent where God brought judgment upon them, a a horrible judgment upon the people of God to get their attention, to bring them back to himself. And you just have to ask yourself, how in the world could this happen? And what really happened here? What is being described here? Is Is this a failure of parents? Is it all the parents' fault? Is this some kind of a, a, a corporate, uh, national, colossal disaster of epic proportions? I mean, what if you really dig into this and try to figure out what is at the core of this, what you'll find is that it was a failure in community. It was a failure in community. Yes, it was a failure within the family structure, It was a failure within the structure of the uh, extended family. It was a failure in the community. It was a failure in the religious community. It was a failure uh, of the people to continue what God had set forth in their hearts and in their minds. These are a group of people who, if you were to ask any of these folks in, in the book of Judges, an Israelite, what is the most important passage of Scripture in the entire Bible? Without hesitation, they would instantly say the Shema. They would instantly say Deuteronomy 6. They would instantly begin to recite to you the, the primary uh, passage of Scripture that was uh, what they, they took sort of like we around here treat the Great Commission as our marching orders going forward, as our purpose as the people of God to go forth. And in Deuteronomy 6, the Shema says, In these words, the Lord says, which I command you today, they shall be in your heart. Now listen to what it says. It says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you uh, sit in the house and when you walk by the wayside and when you lay down and when you rise up. Now I want you to think for a moment about this uh, command as we just leave that up on the screen for just a moment. 
Think about the command there uh, of how the, the Word of God and the glory of God and the greatness of God is going to be handed down from generation to generation according to God's Word. That is this simply... Uh, a lot of times I hear people talk about this passage and they, they would say, well, you know, this is uh, about the home. And it is about the home. And it is primarily a verse that's directed to parents. But here would be the mistake in thinking that way. Families don't exist in a vacuum. That to think that uh, this is just a command to parents and to individual families is to miss the reality that families interact with all the other families around them. And that families are engaged in life every day just like all the people that live wherever they live. And whether it be 2,000 years ago or whether it be today, families don't live in a vacuum. And so the Bible will constantly try to remind us that the older we get, the harder our hearts become. The less open we are to supernatural things. It's not that as we age, our hearts can't be open to supernatural things. But you know as you live within this family that uh, it's, it's increasingly rare. As you watch all the people who get baptized here every year. And the small number of people that are, uh, you know, 50 plus to get baptized. And then uh, it's a little bit more people between, you know, 50 and say 30. And then we have a pretty good number of young adults that come to faith in Christ. And then there's a whole bunch of teenagers that come to faith in Christ. And then there's a whole bunch of children that come to faith in Christ. Because the Bible would tell us that time is of the essence when it comes to implanting faith into our hearts. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw a night, when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. That we need to be uh, vigilant and diligent early on. Maybe you've been wondering this morning, why is there a stack of cheese puffs over here on the stage? Well, you'd been wondering more than that if you were at my house last night and you saw me and my wife counting those daggum cheese puffs. I thought I'd never get the orange off my hands. And I'd, I'll admit, I ate a couple of them. But they represent something. In fact, uh, let me go ahead and have that one. I mean, since we've been here today, it's one less. I'm going to go ahead and eat that one. The average family in a year, parents, moms, dads, in the course of one calendar year, you have, on average, 3,000 hours to influence your children. So from the beginning, January 1, all the way to the end of December... The average mom and dad have about 3,000 hours to influence, to impart uh, wisdom to, to teach, to instruct, to whatever it is you're going to do. That's the amount of time you have, that you have the choice to use it whichever way you choose to use it. Over here, on the other hand, 
The average church in a year invests 40 hours in a student's life, in a child's life, in their involvement in the church. Now, this is not representative of Michael Memorial. You know, the growing trend now is to just get together one time a week and then the rest of the week uh, families are too busy doing other things to be in church. But most of the kids that you've seen and the young people that you've seen up here today would actually spend about three times this amount in a year involved in things here at this fellowship. And we work very hard to do that, but it takes an incredible amount of volunteers in order to do that. But so you could imagine this 40 hours here would probably be a little over 100 hours. But still, there's a tremendous gap between, say, 100 hours and 3,000 hours. And then what we want to do is we want to think about the gap between there and there. That how can we work to bridge, to work in the middle of these two things? What happens to the young person who grows up in a home like I grew up in where there was no godly witness, where there was nobody to take him to church, where there was nobody to read him the Bible, where there was no, nobody to ever would ever even consider something like Awana? So what are these 3,000 hours used for in a home like that? You know, I read a study the other day that said that the average teenage boy when he graduates high school has spent over 10,000 hours playing video games. Do you know that it, it takes less than half of that to earn a four-year college degree? 10,000 hours playing video games. That's just hard for me to wrap my head around. So you take this. So basically, that's three plus years of influence gone. So of this 3,000 hours that a family might have to sow into the lives of their children, there's all sorts of things that are coming into this. I mean, we would be all just kidding ourselves if we felt like all of these hours were being redeemed. They're not being redeemed. It would be impossible for that to happen. It simply won't. You, you, couldn't, you, couldn't, you couldn't navigate the challenges of life and do that. But so the goal is to redeem as many as you possibly can. But then to think about over here, I'm involved in a fellowship. I'm involved in a church that maybe invests 100 hours into the lives of my student. But then how do these two things collide? How does Deuteronomy 6 really apply to the family of God, the faith family of God? Well, I would say in several key ways. First of all, I would say, number one, kids need other kids around them that believe what they believe. You see, that's very important to our kids. So now I want you to think about, so over here, you've got 100 hours that the church is sowing into the lives of your children. But then you've got all the time that your children spend with their friends. You've got all the time that students and young people and uh, all age children spend involved with other kids their own age doing things that those children do. Now, where did they meet those kids? 
Where do they network with those kids? How did those kids become important in their life? Well, I would suggest to you that if those kids came into their life and were involved in the same things at church that our kids are, that you're going to begin to see this number grow and grow and grow in influence because now all of the time that our kids are spending with other kids that share the same beliefs that they believe, it's solidifying in their heart what they believe. It's encouraging them to continue to walk in faithfulness. And it's growing them in confidence that they're not alone in a world that would sometimes try to make them feel like they're alone. Amen? And so just the simple reality that families don't exist in a vacuum and that it is very crucial to consider where will our children make their longest lasting, deepest friendships. My goodness, you wouldn't have to be around me long or to know me for long to know that uh, if I'm going to quote a verse to you that has anything to do with children, it's almost always going to be Proverbs 13, 20. The Bible says, and I think it's the most instructive passage because it's the simplest to the point passage for children to just understand, for parents to understand the principle of relationships in life. The Bible says that he who walks with the wise grows wise, but the companion of fools is destroyed. Now, is that just a a mom and dad principle? Or is that a principle that plays out every single year in the lives of all of our young people as they are involved in fellowship, as they're involved in activities at church, and they're building relationships with people that share the beliefs that they believe? And the Bible says if you walk with those who are wise you will grow wise. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Every kid walks with someone. Everybody. Nobody walks alone. And if you don't think that somebody's walking alone, you're wrong. They're not walking alone. They're walking with some influence in their life, whether it be some media influence or some influence at school, something that they're involved in on the internet, whatever the case may be, they're, be, they're walking with somebody. And so what we as a faith family have an opportunity to do is to provide opportunity for our children to walk with one another and to rub shoulders with one another and to be encouraged in the things that they believe and to know that they're not alone in those things and that there's other people that believe the same thing as them. There is great power in growing up in community of faith. Great power. It should be a good thing when your children feel a little bit awkward, a little bit out of place, a little bit like they don't belong when they go to their public school campus because they ought to feel like that because it ought to be foreign to them than what they're normally used to feeling when they're in their own environment with their own peers that they like to spend their time with. If they feel completely comfortable in the world, that's where you have a problem. That would be problematic for me. Where are our children going to meet their friends? Who is going to determine who our children walk with? Whether they grow up wise or whether they are destroyed by those whom they choose to walk with. Secondly, our children need another voice. They need another voice saying the same things as their parents. You see, this is what is so incredibly valuable about a fellowship that is determined together 
to sow into every single generation that we've been entrusted. Because what happens is, is that our children have the opportunity to hear the voice of other people that they look up to and that they respect and that are in positions of authority over them saying the same things that mom and dad are saying at home. I cannot overemphasize the critical importance of this role in the lives of our children and our young people. You know, there comes a a stage in the development of every young person's life where they reach a point where they're no longer, I know this is going to shock some of you, they no longer think their parents know anything. There comes a moment, parents, where you're not going to be the smartest person in the world anymore. You're not going to be their superhero anymore. They're not going to look up to you about everything that you do and say. In fact, they're going to begin to hear some of the things that you say as uh, not necessarily for their best welfare, but that you're trying to, uh, you know, you're trying to, 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 to clamp down on their fun. You're trying to uh, remove some of their freedom. You're, you're being overbearing. You are not understanding the culture in which they live in. And when that time comes, the most valuable thing that you can have in your young person's life are other loving adults to speak the same wisdom into their hearts that you're speaking so that they can hear that from a different perspective and a different voice. You see, look at it from your kid's point of view. It's sort of like a, it's like a bell curve. That what happens is about the time you get to high school graduation, you get into the, the place in life where you're, where you're thinking, these students, they're grateful for their families. Here's what, if you, would, if you talk to one of these graduates, here's what they'd tell you. They'd say, you know what, I'm so grateful that my mom and dad made me come to church every time the doors were open. I'm so grateful that they, they forced me to learn all those verses in Awana. I'm so thankful that when I, you know, didn't want to do this or didn't want to do that, didn't want to go to camp or didn't want to go to VBS, but they, they forced me to do that. I'm so grateful now because I see the great value in that. But it wasn't always that way. That there's a time prior to that where everything was a struggle where they weren't really grateful for that. And here's how they see moms and dads. Even if they see what you're saying as being for their well-being, you have to care. It's your job. Your, your job is to believe in me. You see, when you, when you ask a, a middle school student, who believes in you? Who really believes in you? Because let me tell you something. When you get to middle school, everything that you have done up until that point is going to become critically important. How many families have I watched squander the young years only to get to middle school? See, because when they're little and they're cute and they're sweet and they do whatever you ask them to do, you just kind of roll with it and you just think it's always going to be that way. But it's not always going to be that way. They're going to middle school is going to come. And when it comes, 
They're going to try to figure out who they are. Where do they belong? What are they about? Where do they fit in? What makes them valuable? What makes them important? And listen to me. When you ask a middle school, a middle school student, you say, who believes in you? Mom and dad are supposed to believe in me. It's their job to believe in me. And most middle school students that you'll meet would just say, nobody, or me, I believe in me, or my friends believe in me. But if you grow up in a fellowship like this, where you have Sunday school teachers, where you have kingdom kids leaders, where you have these adults along the way that have sown into your life, and you know what they'll say? They'll say, Mr. Ron believes in me. He believes in me. He was my Sunday school teacher when I was in the sixth grade. And every single Sunday he would come in and, and he would teach us these things that at first seemed kind of strange because he would teach us like we were grown-ups. What, what they don't know or what they might find out along the way is that he wrote all that curriculum himself, that he's been teaching fifth and sixth grade boys here for Ever, for as long as I can remember. And I can remember I used to ask him all the time. I'd say, Ron, what are you teaching your, your boys this morning? And he would start telling me, and I would just giggle because I thought, I, you know, they taught me that in seminary. You know, you're teaching systematic theology to fifth and sixth grade boys, but somehow he's devised a way to put big truths in little hearts in a way that they can receive it and understand it. He's not here today because he hasn't been feeling good. And for a long time, he's been really struggling with uh, problems with his heart. And when I went and saw him in the hospital this past week, I told him, I said, man, Sunday, all these boys kept coming up to me saying, how's Mr. Ron doing? Is he going to be okay? When's he coming back? See, because Mr. Ron believes in him. He believes in him. I know that because I can remember with my own children. I, I can remember how much it meant to uh, my daughter when she would uh, get cards in the mail from Miss Hannah. I remember that. But you know, people don't take time to send cards anymore. But let me tell you something. A little girl gets a card in the mail from her Sunday school teacher and it means a whole lot. And you know what those cards would say? In a thousand different ways, I wonder over all these years, how many cards has Miss Hannah sent to girls in this fellowship? It would be impossible to count. But every one of those cards in some way says, you know what? I believe in you. I believe in you. God loves you. You matter to God. And listen, that is some important information when life gets really difficult, when life gets really hard. When you're out there and you're trying to figure out where you fit in or where do you belong or, or what, what is, your, what is your, your, your place in this world. And listen, 20 years from now, the games that you won on the ball field aren't going to matter one bit. How well you, all the trophies you won in athletics are going to be useless. You're not even going to remember that. It's not even going to matter what 20 years from now. 
But you know what's going to matter 20 years from now? I'll tell you what's going to matter. What's going to matter to me and what's going to matter to you are, all, are, are our young adult children serving the Lord? Are they involved in church? Are they going to raise my grandchildren in church? Are they going to raise my grandchildren the way that I raised them? That's what's going to matter to me. It's not going to matter. The home runs won't matter. The goals in soccer won't matter. The grades won't even matter. What's going to matter is all the scripture that they memorize. That's going to matter. What's going to matter is all the people that said, I believe in you and I believe the same things that you believe. What's going to matter is the lifelong friendships that they developed in a Christian environment that encouraged them to continue on the hard path. That's what's going to matter. What's going to matter is what doesn't seem like it matters as much right now. But listen, it matters. And it doesn't just matter in here on Sundays. It doesn't just matter in here on Wednesdays. It matters in here all the Saturdays and the Fridays and the birthday parties and everything else. That every time I go to one of your children's birthday parties and the house is buzzing with all these kids and most of the kids in there, I know who they are. Because they all go to church together. That's what it's all about. That's what Deuteronomy 6 is all about. That's the goal for you and for me. Is that we as a family, we have to embrace the large, we have to get outside our own family and embrace all of this as our family. And we have to realize what hangs in the balance here. That listen, at the end of the day, you cannot give your kids your faith. You can't do it. But what we can do is everything that we possibly can to set them up to succeed for the Lord. To make sure that in the midst of all the wonderful things we did, all the fun we had on the ball field, all the fun that we had doing all these other activities and all these things that we did, in the midst of all of that, what was always present was this this understanding, this reality that we're a Christian family. And we belong to a bigger family. And that bigger family is there for you. And so listen, when your child finds themselves in a moment where they're not really sure what to do. They're not really sure where to go. They're not really sure who to call. I want them to know that they have all the resources of this humongous faith family behind them. And that their faith family is filled with people that will drop whatever they're doing right now and come to their help, their aid, be there for them. That's what it's all about. That's what the Shema is calling us to, community. That's what happened in Judges chapter 2. The community broke down and the next generation was lost. Some children don't need other voices to come alongside and solidify the voices of their parents. Some children, and even some children that God gives us the opportunity to love and to care for, they just need a voice. Because they don't have a voice. There's a lot of these kids that were lined up across this stage right here who are memorizing all these hundreds of verses. But because of circumstances that were beyond their control, no doing of their own, that they're bounced between two families. And in one family, 
The Word of God is important and it matters. And things like Awana are preeminent. But then in the other family, it's the opposite. And what we need to do is we need to recognize that and understand that. We need to come alongside those families and we need to say, listen, we recognize that you have not only are you sharing in the difficult, the most difficult challenge that we could ever face together of raising children, but it's even more difficult for you. And we need to be more conscious of those children and those situations and make sure that if they need a, a Christian man to stand in their life as a father figure that we we provide multiple if they need a christian woman to stand as a mother figure for them and the lord that we provide multiple that it's not just about mom and dad it's about mom and dad it's about the sunday school teacher it's about what's going to happen here in a few weeks during vbs it's about what's going to happen when uh, when we're in here having Sunday morning service and every Sunday across the way in the East Sanctuary, Kingdom Kids is going full swing. It's about what every single week my wife is slugging it away running that preschool department. It never goes away. It's not just me. You know, I, I thought about this on sabbatical. I thought, you know, I wasn't the only one that got a sabbatical. Lisa got a sabbatical. And so as, uh, as Rod and Brian were, were, were standing in the gap and holding up uh, my arms for me during that time, Tracy and the other leaders in the preschool department were holding up Lisa's arms and were standing in the gap for her. Because it was very strange to me to not see her constantly on the phone texting and working and adjusting schedules and making sure that she was accommodating what was going on. And it took a few weeks because... Although you did a great job of not driving me crazy, we neglected to say, well, by the way, Lisa will be on sabbatical too. But after a few weeks, people got the message and they just called somebody else. But that's what she does every week. And I say all the time, I say, listen, do you think that, do you think that, the, that those babies who are being held right now in those, and, and rocking in those rocking chairs... And they're being loved and, and sung to and just talked about, uh, you know, just, just, just singing about Jesus as they're rocking those babies. You don't think that makes a difference? It makes all of a difference. That from the moment our children are born, we start ministering to them. And it's important and it matters. I say all this, I guess, to say this. Here's the reality. It's maybe the toughest, if not the toughest, one of the toughest times in the history of the world to be a child. I get so emotional, so frustrated that uh, it gets hard sometimes even to watch the news. When I see people with these picket signs that say, no hate in my state. I know Jesus says for me to love my enemies. And I feel like I do a pretty good job of that. But when I look at that picture right there, it is very hard for me to love those people. 
Because you know what I see when I look at that? I see a world that is so twisted and so perverted that we would actually pick it and say no hate in my state. And what they're promoting is the ultimate hatred of children. You could not hate a child any more than to send a little girl into a bathroom with some pervert man in there. And yet, to not do that is to hate. No, ladies and gentlemen, to do that is ultimate hate. We got to realize that foundations can't be moved. That the building that we're sitting in right now is built on a foundation. And it may be possible to uh, pick this building up or to shift this building around and move it to another foundation. But you cannot move the foundation. Moving the foundation destroys the building. The foundation of the United States of America is very, very clear. This nation was founded because people fled here to be able to worship the God of the Bible in freedom. This nation was founded on the Word of God. All you have to do is go to the, our nation's capital where all of the, uh, the, the nonsense and the pervertedness is coming from and tour around and look at the Jefferson Memorial, look at the Lincoln Memorial. And you know what you're going to find? That our founding fathers built this country on the Word of God. That the laws of this land are set directly out of the Old Testament of the Word of God. That no matter what you do or what you say or what you believe or what you profess, you cannot deny that at the end of the day, this country was built on a foundation of the Word of God. And if you try to change that, you will destroy the nation because the foundation cannot be changed without destroying what sits on top of it. It cannot be changed. And so if that's true, then what we're talking about this morning and what we're celebrating and what we're doing is more important than ever. Than ever. And I would say in... In our lifetimes, there's never been a more important time to make sure that we're doing everything in our power to sow into the next generation. We have to. We can't just, uh, we can't just throw some resources at it. We can't just wink at it or look at it. We have, to, we have to devote our very best to that. And that means that we all need to be involved. And, and there is, a, there is a, a notion that has permeated our uh, Christian culture in the United States that it repulses God, I can assure you. And there are faithful people who believe that, you know what, I, I've done my time. I've raised my kids. I've, I served this many years. I did that that many years. My, my time is done with. And I'm just simply here to tell you this morning that, that that's simply not true. And that if we're deficient anywhere in this fellowship, here's where we're deficient. We've got far too many older adults that aren't doing anything. And our kids need grandmothers and grandfathers in their life. They need you. Listen, our young people need you. 
We have all these 20-something families around here. We have all these people with young children. Listen, you know what they have? They have zeal. And they have energy. But they don't have wisdom. And they don't have stability. And you know what they're clamoring for? They're clamoring, they're clamoring for mentors. They're clamoring for people. Look around this church. You know what the biggest Sunday school classes in this church are? Young marrieds. The biggest ones. Why? Because they're, they're, they, need, they know they need help. They need direction. They need you to be involved in their life. Listen, you're never too old to be involved in the lives of our children. You're never too old to be involved in the lives of our young adults. We need all hands on deck. That's what we need. We need to realize that these are perilous times. And if we blink, if we're not cautious, if we're not careful, here's what's going to happen. We're going to wake up one day. And there's going to be a generation that comes. And they're not going to worship the Lord, nor are they going to know of his mighty works. You see, some of you in this room this morning, what you carry with you is a wealth of experience in walking with God. And if what you're going to do when I'm done here this morning is go sit in a classroom with a whole bunch of other people that have a wealth of experience in walking with God, and that's where it's all going to stay, that's a shame. It's a shame that that's meant to be shared. That we got to figure out ways to share that. And some of that's here, and some of that's outside of here. You know, every month when our homeschoolers come and they meet on Thursdays and they get together and they have all sorts of different activities that they do and things, I try to always go down there and see the kids. You know, the adults too, but mostly the kids. But here's what I always think. I see all these young moms... Dads are at work and all these children. And I just think, we got so many amazing people that have walked with the Lord for decades and decades and seen God do incredible things. And now they're retired and they're sitting at home. Why aren't they up here with them? Why, why, aren't, why aren't they up here rubbing shoulders with them, telling them about all the great things that God did, sharing with them about all the experiences? Listen, here's the problem. The problem is, is that if we only see each other on Sunday mornings, and you know what we're going to believe? We're going to believe the lie that we're all put together, got it all together, and it's always been that way. They're not going to know what I know. I know that if I go into your Sunday school class, I know, I know you. I know the prodigal children that you had. I know the the horrible circumstances that you've been through. I know that though on the outside, on Sunday mornings, you look like you have it all put together, but you have been through hell and back. And that's why I love you so much. It's because you've taught me. And I get to see you walk in faithfulness to God after everything that you've been through. But you know what? Our children need that. Our young adults need that. They need that. They need it. And you have it. You're the resource. We got to all get in this fight together. All of us. So when these clowns get on TV, and listen, I mean, they're after our governor. They're after him. You pray for him. 
You pray that he'd stand strong. I don't care if every stinking concert cancels from here to the end of the world. I could care less. I could care less. But you pray for our governor. You pray that he'd stand strong. The Baptist deacon that he is. That he would stand his ground and say no. But when you see these clowns on TV, ask yourself, what am I doing to make sure that they don't ultimately win? All these folks in here that are wearing green shirts this morning and these youth workers, man, they're in the trench. This is the trench. This is where it is. And I'm challenging all of you in here to find a place to serve the next generation. Because they need you. God's calling you, I believe, with all my heart. Find a place somewhere. Serve them. Man, it may be rocking babies. It may be changing diapers. It may be teaching Sunday school. Man, if I had time to call our children Sunday school workers up here, the longevity of most of those workers is extraordinary. They haven't been to an adult Sunday school class in so long they can't even remember. Never complain. Never fuss. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, they're pouring their heart out to the kids. They're the heroes. I'm telling you, they're the heroes. We got to all rise up and get in the battle together. Would every one of you just stand? All of the green shirts, all the youth workers, I just want you to stand up. All, all of you that work in our children's ministry, just stand up for a second. Just look around the room. Look at, look at the people. Imagine the sacrifice. Hey, the, the message out there may be no hate in our state. But here's the message in here. The message in here is that Jesus is the Lord and that he loves you. And you know what? He loves you because you love our children. And we are so blessed and so grateful for all that you do every single week. And I know that most of it goes on without anybody seeing or knowing. But some of you this morning got just a little taste of heaven. Just a little taste of it, you. There's some of you in this room that saw some students who are graduating come up here that you literally have watched them grow up all the days of their life. And you got a little frog in your throat. And as you thought about all the memories and all the times, yes, yes. Wow, I wouldn't trade that for anything, for anything. I remember the first time Will came to VBS. Miss Rose brought him. Man, this little kid running around like a tornado. I'm like, who is that kid? I've never seen him before. That's Will. Seems like a million years ago. And now he's a grown man. Going off to pursue what God has next for him. Because the, the lady who lived next door to him said, hey, you want to go to VBS with me? That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. I want you to take your cards. 
And I want you to prayerfully fill in that last blank. That last blank is say yes to serve. And if you're not currently serving the next generation in some way, if you just fill out your information on that, and at the conclusion of this service, just bring that card up here and lay it somewhere on the platform, and I'll gather them up. And we'll help you find a way to serve the next generation. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. The wolves are after our children. And it's all of our responsibility to do everything that we possibly can to make sure that we have put them in a position to excel in Christ. So grateful for you. You're such an amazing people, such a generous people, such a committed people. Here we are on the the cusp of school being out, and you know what that means. That means that every time you turn around, I'm going to be calling another team up here. This morning, we're going to commission our team that's going to Moldova. And what are they going to do in Moldova? They're going to work with the most underprivileged, endangered children in Eastern Europe. They're going to go minister to girls that, apart from ministry, apart from God intervening through churches like this, would more than likely end up in the sex trade. But they're going to be there. We're going to have our team on the ground ministering in the orphanage and in the transitional homes, supporting the work that few support. That's what it's all about. That's what being part of a family is. We all don't do the same things, but we all do something. So in closing, I just want to tell you that Friday, Lisa and I were up in Jackson, again, meeting with the director of the Department of Human Services and a couple of Supreme Court justices. I mean, I'm sitting at the table thinking to myself, what in the world is a pastor from Gulfport sitting here having conversations with these people? What is going on here? And at one point I said, you know, I said, look, I'm just a pastor. I don't really have any influence outside the four walls of my fellowship. So these things that you're talking about and these things that you're asking us to potentially do, are, I'm, I'm not sure that, that you're understanding And Dr. Chandler looked at me and he said, Pastor Carnes, you may think that you don't have any influence outside of those four walls, but let me tell you something. The state of Mississippi knows who Michael Memorial Baptist Church is. And what you have done for orphans in Harrison County is unprecedented. And every person in the DHS building in Jackson knows about your church and on down the halls and at the water fountains they're talking about it and they're beginning to imagine what would happen if other churches around the state began to do what you have done and it's in those moments where I realize just the fact that God has given me the opportunity to be on this ride with you it's scary isn't it it is But look at what God has done. And so going forward, it's a lot of scary things. But we'll get there together. Together. But the same way we always have, God has empowered us and we join arms hand in hand and we get there together.